0: Last week we focused a lot on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Someone said after the Good Friday service, where we looked at the death of, of the death of Jesus, someone said, and I believe rightly so, that it felt like a funeral. And I praise God for that because that's what we wanted to have happen. We wanted to enter in into the mourning, the grieving, the tragedy, the death of Christ. And as we reflected upon that and engaged in that, it was a preparation for Sunday morning when we celebrated the resurrection of the dead. You see, Jesus went into the tomb Friday evening. That was day one. Day two was Saturday. Day three was Sunday, early Sunday. He rose from the dead. He busted forth from the grave, never to die again. And we saw last week, That it was through the resurrection of the dead that God caused us to be born again to a living hope. So through that resurrection, Jesus brings new life and new birth into the world. And I want to tell you that the message of the gospel, the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that brings that new birth, that brings that new life is spread throughout the world through the church. I'm not talking about four walls and a steeple. I'm talking about us. Those of us living and breathing with the Spirit of God inside of us. I'm talking about you guys. I'm talking about us together. That salvation, that good news that saves souls and transforms communities and nations came through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and is now carried forward in his church. So you notice a different slide behind me today? What Jesus started. Early last year, we started a series in the book of Acts. We went through chapters 1 through 7. We took a break. Now we're back. Now we're starting in chapter 8. What is the book of Acts? The book of Acts records... What happened in the 30 or so years after Jesus rose again? So 40 days after Jesus rose again, he floated in the air back up to heaven, where he had been with God for all eternity before he was conceived. And so soon after that, God came. He sent his Holy Spirit and the church. Began fulfilling its mission and its purpose. And the kingdom of God began spreading throughout the world. So, we're in the book of Acts today. Uh, Before we turn to Acts chapter 8, look at Acts chapter 1 with me. Look at Acts chapter 1 with me. And look at verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is some of Jesus' final words before he went back up to heaven. He told his disciples, his apostles, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. His plan was for those who were closest to him to be his witnesses, to bear witness to, to his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his kingdom and it was going to start in a city Jerusalem which is where he died and rose again what we covered last year in the book of acts was everything that happened in Jerusalem what Jesus' plan after that was that the message of the God, of the kingdom of God was going to expand beyond the city and go to the surrounding area and what we're starting today in acts chapter 8 is look we're going to look at how it spread Outside of the city, into the countryside, into neighboring villages, into neighboring towns. And eventually, later on in the book of Acts, we'll get to the uttermost ends of the earth. It'll be a little while before we get there. But we chose to end chapter 7 because that was it for the focus of Jerusalem. And now, beginning today, we're looking at what's going on and the reasons surrounding it. So are you all ready to head through this and see what God has designed for His church and to see what His plan is and uh, just get a little snapshot of God's people in history, y'all. That's where we're going. And God's going to teach us a lot about church life for today. So our passage is Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Next week, we're going to cover verses 4 through 8, so write that down and dig into that in the week ahead. I'm going to read beginning in chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You all, this is the word of God. Let's listen to what he says. Let's give ourselves to it. And I pray that he may bless every part of what we do here today. Amen. So there's been a bit of a pattern. In these first seven chapters of the book of Acts, usually what we see is something crazy happens. Okay, by crazy, I mean, I don't mean negative that negatively, I mean something very unusual or uncommon. Maybe someone is healed, or maybe someone has attacked the leaders of the church. We've seen that multiple times already. And from that healing, from that miracle, from that attack, it draws a crowd, and then... The message of the kingdom of Jesus spreads and multiple people hear it. So we've seen that pattern multiple times in the book of Acts. And we start chapter 8, verse 1, right in the middle of that. So we have Stephen. Who is Stephen? We first hear about Stephen in Acts chapter 6, the workload of the apostles you know, as the pastors and church leaders in Jerusalem, they 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 were overworked and they couldn't focus on the ministry of word and prayer. So they brought in seven people to help with some of the hands-on needs of ministry. And Stephen was chosen to be a part of that. It's where we get modern day, it's where we get the term deacon from. And I think a much more biblical, relevant term is the term servant. And, and we're going to focus on that idea a lot at the phase three constitution meeting that first night, the servants of the church. It comes from Acts chapter six, and Stephen was a part of that. And so the Bible says that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And he was a man who was full of grace and power. He was a man like I want to be and like I want us to be. And he was doing great signs and wonders among the people. And just like the Jews didn't like Jesus in his ministry, the Jews didn't like Stephen in his ministry. They put him on trial. They gathered false witnesses to accuse him, just like they did Jesus. And then Stephen, just pretty much all of chapter 7, is Stephen, a long sermon. Stephen is summarizing all of history and how they got to this point and how everything that had ever happened since Adam and Eve was focused on, On the kingdom and the arrival, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And towards the end of chapter 7, he says, you guys are the one who killed him. And then they stoned him. And then they stoned him. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it says, They cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And here in chapter 8, verse 1, it says Saul approved of his execution. You all, most of us already know this. Saul would become the Apostle Paul who wrote probably 25 to 30 percent of the New Testament. And the faith that he was trying to destroy, he became one of the the greatest messengers of that faith that probably ever lived. So Saul approved of his execution. We get to verse 2. Stephen's dead, and we have devout, faithful men who buried Stephen, and the people made great lamentation over him. I could preach all day long about only verse 2. We do not weep well. As a people, as Americans, as a church, the culture that we have all been brought up in does not encourage weeping. So to lament or to or lamentation has to do with grief or sorrow that is expressed in Christ. Have you ever been to a funeral and folks are going up to see the casket and someone just breaks down moaning and loud tears, they might collapse and someone catches them. That's lament. That is lamentation. And we have a whole book of the Bible called lamentation. And that just makes me think, okay, if we've got a whole book of the Bible about lamenting and being in sorrow, it's pretty important. And Luke here tells us that the faithful... Men who knew Stephen gathered and made great lamentation over him. And it wasn't just the men. It was much more than this. You all, I want to remind you of our Savior Jesus. When his friend Lazarus died, he went and he wept and he cried. And he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And still, Jesus wept and he cried. I want to ask you, are you someone who can cry when there's a good reason to cry? Do you feel ashamed when you want to show grief? Have others tried to shame you into not grieving or lamenting? You all, there is tragedy in our world and when tragedy comes, lament, grief and sorrow is appropriate. You all, all death, is a result of sin. If sin would have never came into the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve and all their descendants would have never died. And I love it because Jesus is currently working to restore that. And we will live on this earth in an age where there is no death. That is an age that is yet to come. But all death is a result of sin. And Stephen's death was a result of sin. People sinned against him. He committed no crime. But yet his life, was taken from him. He was executed publicly. And the man had done nothing wrong. You all, the disorder in our hearts and in our world tells us that we should not lament. You all, it is often... Uh, well, I've had family members and I've known people that have felt like when they lost someone... That they couldn't show grief or they couldn't cry because they had to be strong for everyone else. And they've held it in. And many years later, the grief has come forward. And once they went through a period of lamentation, and by lamentation, I mean wailing, crying, you know, privately and with others. But after they came to the period where they could do that and let it out physically, there was this burden off of their shoulders. There was this release there was this thing they were no longer holding on to. We don't want to do that today. We have a hard time acknowledging our own mortality. We also live in a world today where it's hard to acknowledge that death is a result of sin. You all it just, I don't know, nine or ten funerals I've, I've, I've officiated... And a number of families said, we don't want this to be called a funeral. We want this to be called a celebration of life. Now, let me tell you, I am all for being thankful in the worst of circumstances. The Bible commands that. But if you're trying to create a gathering that's supposed to be a party when someone's dead, y'all, there's something wrong with that picture. My fear is that people are trying to avoid the realities of sin and death and the grave and judgment. And, and, you know, we don't want to be forced to think about that. And I believe that people these days are seeking false comfort by looking the other way. You all, we need to be a people that grieve and mourn because of the injustice and death and loss. That we experience in our broken world. If everything is not okay. It's okay to act. Like everything is not okay. That doesn't mean you have to let everyone into the deepest darkest parts of your grief. It just means that you don't have to put a show on for people. And you can say I'm having a really hard time today. And if someone sees you. All right grown men let me talk to you your kids and your church family and your adult children and your spouses, our wives. Men, they need to see us cry when it's time to cry. When someone has been taken away, it is because of sin that they are gone. And even though we have hope for a better life, And by hope, I mean certainty, like I talked about last week. Even though we have that assurance of a better life that is yet to come. It's still okay for it to hurt because they're not here with us anymore. So. I could do a number of sermons on verse two alone. But I don't want to focus on that. But I had to draw attention to that. God's people, like Jesus and like the early church here, are to be people who lament when it's time to lament. All right. So let's look at the second part of verse one, and let's look at verse three, and let's look at this together. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committing them to prison. You all, so far in the book of Acts, we've had the church leaders suffering. Okay, we've had the apostles suffer. They've been thrown into jail. They've been whipped. They've been beaten. And now Stephen, who was also a leader in the church, even though he was not an apostle, he was suffering. He lost his life. But now you guys are suffering. The church members. Okay. New church member, young baby in Christ, older, more mature church member. The people of God are suffering here. Verse 3, it says he was ravaging the church. When you look at how that word is used in other literature of that day, it has to do with a military siege of a city. Thousands upon thousands of soldiers scaling the walls of an ancient city and going in. To wipe out and destroy everyone that's there. There's a second way that that word ravaging is used in ancient literature. It has to do with a wild beast attacking and mauling someone. That's what Saul has started. I want to ask you, would you keep following Jesus and stay faithful to the end if you were forced to either become a refugee and leave your home? or you were going to pay a great price. Either way you're paying a great price, but you're you're going to suffer physically, you're going to be locked up or you're going to have to leave. Would you keep following Jesus and stay faithful to the end if you had to pay that price? You all the call to be a Christian is not easy. Jesus suffered and he promised dozens of times that if you're faithful to me, all you you my followers, you will suffer also. So many of these people, they suffered by going to prison, but others, they scattered. And they scattered to neighboring regions. And you all, this is how the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus spreads. We have seen it earlier in the book of Acts, the, the, the gospel of the kingdom. it spread through miracles. And what happened afterward? Well, God also at times arranges not so spectacular and wonderful circumstances to spread his word. He ordains and brings about the suffering of His people. He doesn't just allow it. He brings it upon His faithful people. And time won't permit me to prove that to you from the Scripture today, but trust me on it. And if you want to see Scriptures, I can give those to you later. But God didn't just allow this, but He brought it on His people for the purpose of neighboring regions Learning and hearing and believing the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus, just like they had heard about in the city. You all, it's easy to think that when life gets hard, that we're doing something wrong. But sometimes you can be doing everything right. And life is still going to get hard. Jesus doesn't bring that upon you because he wants to whoop you. And there are occasions where he does that. Read Hebrews chapter 12. But not all of your suffering and hardship is because you did something wrong. You might be as faithful to Jesus in this past year of your life as you have ever been. And God will bring incredible suffering upon you for other purposes. You all, in America, being a Christian has been the popular thing to do for most of the life of our nation. It has even been socially advantageous to be a church member. I want to tell you that things have been changing for several decades now to where it's only the strange people that go to church. You all... I see in the years ahead, and we've been heading in this direction for a long time, that we're going to begin to be called out, ridiculed, hated, and despised at some level because we name the name of Jesus Christ or because we identify with God's kingdom and his church. I'm not going to preach to you that you need to come to Jesus because he'll make your life easy. Will you be blessed and will you have joy if you're faithful to Jesus? Absolutely. Come to Jesus and get all of that because it's all available. But this life as a Christian is hard and many of God's people will pay a price. You may have noticed in verse one that the people were scattered, Judea and Samaria. Those were different regions. Judea was Jerusalem. The city was in Judea and Samaria was to the north. And Judea was mostly Jewish. Samaria was like half Jewish and they had some other religions mixed in and they were not a very faithful people. And the gospel, the good news went to those places But it says that the apostles stayed. For years, I've kind of wondered why that was. And it became painfully obviously to me this week. You know, they were the Navy SEALs. They were the SWAT team. They were the ones who were going into battle, the midst of it, to care for those that were paying the biggest price. You all, they were staying in the battle and they were not abandoning the war zone. Now, I don't believe that that means that those who scattered did anything wrong. There were times, I can show you times where the Apostle Paul and and other leaders decided, hey, it's time to go. I shouldn't be here anymore. And that's perfectly legit and fine. But in this case, I believe they stayed behind to bring care, spiritual care and, and, and strength to those who were suffering and to those who were present. We get to verse 4, and it tells us what happened when God's people scattered and went to other places. They went about preaching the word. A couple different questions for you here. What does preaching mean? Does it mean what I'm doing right this minute? Or or is it a bit broader than that? And second question, what is preaching? The word they went about preaching the word. Is it not true that sometimes God brings a hard thing in your life to set you up for something else that he has for you? I don't know that I would have come here to be a pastor if things wouldn't have just completely fallen apart in Tampa in the two months before I got here. (laughs) The thing we were giving ourselves to, the things we were working on, just fell apart. And it was all from God. It was so hard. There was some sin. There was some betrayal. There was pain involved. But there was also blessing and all kinds of wonderful things happening. And then people who loved us had to close down the thing that we were giving ourselves to. And they felt like that's what God wanted them to do. And so all of a sudden, something I've been working on for two and a half, three years was gone. But that was God saying, I'm going to set you up for another purpose. And I don't want to make this all about me, and I don't want to make us make this about any of us as individuals. But what I want to do is to just show clearly that God brings about circumstances in the lives of his people that we can't predict or control. And he does it for really big reasons that we can't even begin to see in that moment, you all. Are you going through a hard time right now? Is your 10-year plan royally screwed up? Are you 15 years behind on your 10-year plan? Are you 40 years old and thinking, I thought things were going to be a whole lot different in my life by now? When you're in the midst of that disappointment, when times are hard, take your eyes off of this difficult thing that made your week really awful and put your eyes upon God. And ask him. What are you doing right now? Jesus. What is the big beautiful work. And picture. That you are accomplishing. Right now. All these refugees. That are leaving Jerusalem. Going to the countryside. I don't. I I wonder. Could they have realized. That God brought about this. And as a result of it, the message of the kingdom was spread. You all, I want to point out that verse 4 is not the apostles. It's not the elders of the church. It's not the Stephens who were doing miracles. It's the church people. It's you all. It's people who didn't go to Bible college. It's people who still struggle with sin. It's people who are trying to figure out what the world God wants them to do with their life. It's the church members. Notice how Jesus works, and this is like a big picture thing. Notice how Jesus works. He came as one man. He chose 12. One of them didn't turn out very good, but the other 11 did some pretty darn good job of being faithful to him. They were faithful in doing their work. And now hundreds, likely thousands of people within most likely a few years are now going out and spreading the same message that Jesus did. You all, we've had 2,000 years of that in church history. And that's why there are people who love Jesus in every single nation on our planet. The pattern for ministry that we see with Jesus and the apostles, and then to these church members, is the same thing that we want to do here. God calls us to be receiving from others. And becoming like others who are older than us in the Lord. And then God calls us to take what we've been given and be given it to others. And as we do so, workers are multiplied. And when I say workers, I'm not talking about seminary trained pastors. I'm talking about faithful people who do the work of ministry seven days a week. Wherever it is God put them, whether that's at home with your kids... You know, it's a seven day work week, but it feels like 11 days a week, doesn't it, Mama's? Sometimes. Whether that's you're painting a home, you're driving a truck, you're bending a piece of metal, you're staring at a screen all day, you're making sure bad guys don't invade the property, whatever it is that you do, I want to tell you that you can be one of these types of workers. God has work for you to do. And I believe that the church is where you are trained. And I believe that the church is where you are sent from. You all, Stephen obeyed God and gave his life. And now because of his faithfulness in giving his life, people all over the countryside and in villages far away are hearing the message of Jesus. I want to ask you, are you willing to participate in this mission? Are you willing, if God called you to it, are you willing to give up your life for it? I don't think he's going to call many of us to that. I'll I'll just go ahead and say that. That's just my speculation. But if he did, are you willing to give it? And are you willing to be one of these workers who goes about preaching the word? Now, what do those two words mean? What does preaching mean? What does word mean? You all, the word is the message. It's the message. I'm going to say, I'm going to call it the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. I have... For many years, I'm still my my understanding is growing in this a lot right now, and and I'm I'm digging into this as much as I can. But for years, when I've thought about the gospel, I have thought exclusively in terms of Jesus's life, death and resurrection. Okay, the gospel is a word that means what, y'all? Good news. Okay, and I so I've thought about the good news whenever I see the word gospel in the Bible, I've thought about the message of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's actually broader than that. It has to do with God's kingdom. I believe we should also talk about the ascension, which is what Jesus did when he went back up to heaven 40 days after he rose from the dead. You all, that, that that's good news. All of that is good news. And the idea of God's kingdom, it's not just a... A, a future 1,000 year period. I, I don't think there's a literal 1,000 year period ahead of us. But many of us have been taught that that's God's kingdom. That it's not here now. And the scripture rejects that idea fully. Jesus came and the kingdom of God was, was there. In him. and the kingdom of God. His rule and his reign is here. And now. And the good news of the kingdom is that the king has arrived. So when we see gospel, we need to think about all the things that Jesus did. But we also have to think about his kingdom, about his rule and his reign. And I've preached on that numerous times in the past. But let's look at this word gospel for a minute. Do you all remember the night that Jesus was born, the shepherds were in the field? And this giant like army of of singing angels show up and they make an announcement and they say, fear not. They say this to the shepherds. They say, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news. That's gospel. In Luke chapter four, verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. To other towns as well. So what's the gospel? What's the good news that's connected to the kingdom of God? In Luke chapter 8 verse 1. And there are dozens of verses I could include in this. But in Luke chapter 8 verse 1. It says soon afterward Jesus went on through cities and villages. He was proclaiming the good news of what? The kingdom of God. A new king was on the scene you all. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it says every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That word preaching is bringing good news of the kingdom. And we see it's about Jesus. So the word preaching, you know, I'm preaching right now, right? Right. This is not what they were doing house to house. It was a much more informal and relational thing that was going on. God's people weren't just gathering in big gatherings publicly, but they were bold enough to have someone in their messy house. How comfortable are you about letting someone in your messy house? They did it. They lived their lives together with others. They knew their neighbors. And as they lived life with other people, the message of King Jesus was spread house to house. It wasn't just in the big church family gathering. And obviously, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. Am I right about that? That is for the people of God. If we turn to Acts chapter 8, we see this. Look in verse 12. We'll cover this in two weeks. When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So what is the message? It's good news. About what? The kingdom of God. In Jesus Christ, Jesus is the king and all other kings, all other powers, all other authorities are to live in allegiance to the true king. Look in Acts chapter eight, verse thirty five. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the gospel, the good news. About who? Jesus. You all, our message is the good news that King Jesus came. Our message is the good news that King Jesus gave His life for your sin. Our message is that King Jesus didn't only demand that you pay taxes and treat him like a king, but that King Jesus became a servant and gave his life as a ransom for his people. Our message is that King Jesus, although he died as a common criminal, he didn't stay there, but he came back three days later. Our message is that King Jesus is currently in his physical body, the same one that his mama, the same one he had when Mary gave birth to him, the same one that had the nails driven through his hands and his feet. King Jesus is ruling and reigning bodily in heaven at the right hand of God right now. And he is currently conquering all of his enemies. And here we are, between His first coming and His second coming. And the things that were happening to God's people in this passage are still happening to God's people today. I want you to get caught up in this story that God is writing throughout history. I want you to give yourself to Jesus and to think like He does. To act Like he did. To live your life the way he did. In the power of the Holy Spirit. I want us to band together. To share our lives together. To go through good times. And to go through bad times together. And I want us to work together. To bring the message of the gospel of the kingdom. To a dying and hurting community. There is not a week that goes by. Where one of you don't come up to me. Where multiple, several of you at least, don't come up to me and share with me something awful that you have seen happening in our community. And it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? You all, we are the people of God. He's given us a spirit, his spirit, and Jesus is the King and He is conquering all sin. And anything you encounter in this world, anything you encounter in this community, Jesus has something to say about it. Jesus can cure it. Jesus can heal it. Jesus can bring forgiveness. Jesus can bring mercy. Jesus can bring transformation. Jesus can right all the wrongs that we see. We must be a people that is willing To suffer, we must be a people that is willing to be focused on the good news of the King, and we must be a people who are sharing this with others. This is the church, and this is what God is calling us to. And y'all, this is what we're doing, and we're going to get even better at it. Because God is here, because God is working in you, because many of you are listening to him. And he's not done with us yet, and he is certainly not done with Gates County yet. This is the call of God on our life. Let's pray.